You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is where we are going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would... Uh, invite you to click on a link that is in the description of this video. It, it will take you over to an app called Version, which is a Bible app. You can read the whole Bible right there on your phone. Uh, but it, it, that specific link will take you to both the passage for today and to sermon notes as well. And so that can help you follow along a little bit here today. And uh, we're so glad uh, that you're joining us through this uh, different means of technology. This isn't what church normally looks like, but we are grateful that we can uh, focus our hearts together through faith on the Word of God. And so your Bibles are opening to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Today is the last sermon in our series called We Are the Body. And in this series, we've been looking at what the Bible is talking about when it calls the church the body of Christ. If you think about it, it's really like the perfect analogy, which I mean, it kind of better be like it's Holy Spirit inspired, right? But, but it's this picture of many parts working together as a unified whole. And just like the, the various parts of your body, the, the people within a, a church realize that we are dependent upon one another. We realize that God has called us to build one another up in love and to demonstrate Jesus Christ to the watching world. And so the body is this amazing picture of what it is to be the church. Now now to carry this analogy maybe just a little bit further, uh, we don't just have different parts in our body. We're not just interdependent, we're also interconnected. And every body has something that connects its various parts together in order to provide life-sustaining nourishment. In a human body, uh, that is blood. Blood. Your blood is a fascinating thing. Uh, If you cut your skin open, your your blood rushes to the surface to coagulate and to create a a protective barrier for you. When you're weak or tired, uh, chances are there's some deficiency of some vitamin or mineral in your blood. Your your blood makes sure that the oxygen that is breathed into your body uh, gets carried to all the other parts. It it, it carries the antibodies to to fight disease. When you're dealing with a physical issue and and the doctors don't really know what's going on, what do they do? They, they, They run blood work. And based on that blood work, they can often pinpoint which specific parts of your body are not working properly. And so I would just suggest to you this morning that as blood is to your physical body, so is love to the body of Christ. Just like blood nourishes the body and flows between each part, in the body of Christ, love is the nourishment that feeds our physical bodies. When you cut the body of Christ, it bleeds love. Now some of you watching this morning uh, may not be a part of the body of Christ. You, you may not be a follower of Jesus. And, and if that's you, uh, I hope, first of all, that love is what you see from the church. I, I, love, I hope that love is what you see specifically from the people who you know who go to our church. It's not going to be love like the rest of the world defines it. It's going to be love like we're going to define it today from the Bible. And, and, and so I hope, um, I hope that you have experienced what we're about to talk about today. 
I also just want to acknowledge that, that maybe you haven't experienced that kind of love from the church. And, and unfortunately, uh, not every church is going after this type of love. There are even some who have gotten it wrong. In fact, we've probably got it wrong from, from time to time. And yet we're still growing to pursue the love that our Savior showed us. And so we would invite you to, to grow with us and to explore His love with us and, and to even come to faith in His love today. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I, I hope that love is your top priority as part of the body of Christ. Especially in a time when we're scattered as a church. In a time when it takes extra effort to be the body. In a time when communication is not ideal and misunderstandings could potentially abound. In a time when needs will likely be many. We need to make sure that we are focused on love. Love is what ties together everything that we have been talking about in this series so far. Love is what ties together the body of Christ and makes us an interdependent, interconnected whole. And so here's our big idea for today. Uh, Pursue love as your top priority as you play your part in the body. Your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, we actually started this series in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you were here with us for those sermons, we actually were in person for those sermons. Uh, can you, do we even remember that day? Uh, and uh, you're going to remember that uh, the city in the, t- the church in the city of Corinth was a mess. It was, it was pretty much just a mess. There's, there's not much better word to describe it than that. And, and Paul had helped to plant this church, but since he left, he, a lot of things had gone wrong. There were little disagreements that began turning into big divisions, uh, opinions about things like, like, who's my favorite preacher? Or, or should we eat food that was previously sacrificed to idols? Or, or who gets to eat first at the communion meal? Or, or who has the best spiritual gifts? Like All of these different opinions were tearing at the skin of the church, and what they were bleeding was not love. And so Paul writes this letter to get them focused back on the centrality of the gospel, back on the unity that the gospel provides. And chapter 13 that we're studying today is sandwiched right in between uh, two conversations about spiritual gifts. In fact, it's the main point that Paul wants to drive home about the body and about spiritual gifts. He says in the last verse of chapter 12, he says, And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he launches into 1 Corinthians 13, which is that more excellent way. Uh, Some scholars even believe that 1 Corinthians 13, or what has become known as the love chapter, is actually the climax of the book of 1 Corinthians. And so, read with me in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And then I want us to just read chapter 14, verse 1 as well. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love as your top priority as you play your part in the body. Today we're going to focus on chapter 13, but I wanted to just read chapter 14, verse 1, because it's important. This is what Paul wants the Corinthian church to do in light of chapter 13. So he's not writing chapter 13 uh, so that we can just have nice, warm, fuzzy feelings about love. He wants us to pursue love. Even as, as we desire to experience the spiritual gifts, even as we desire to live as part of the body, even as we especially desire gifts that bring clarity to who Jesus is and what He has done, we must pursue love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the foundation for why we must pursue love. This has to become our top priority. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter what season we find ourselves in. And today we're going to see three reasons why it must be our top priority. The first is this. Pursue love because it is essential. Pursue love because it is essential. Just like blood is to every part of the human body, love is absolutely essential to the body of Christ. Look at verses 1 to 3 again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying that without love, our lives, our participation in Christ's body is just noise and nothingness. Remember that the Corinthian church was fascinated by eloquent speech. They were, they were fascinated by the gift of tongues. But Paul says, I could speak as fancy as the best speaker in heaven or on earth. If I don't have love, I don't have nothing. He's saying it's, it's just meaningless at, at that point. It's, it's a gong or a clanging cymbal. And so, so just pretend for a moment here um, that, that you thought that I was a really good uh, public speaker, right? Let's, I mean, I'm not assuming anything, so just pretend like you think that, right? And uh, you're just amazed by how well I, t- I talk. And so um, if I'm 
talking with all of the eloquence in the world, but I'm not speaking to you out of love. All that that is worth is this. This is it. This is all that you're getting. And the message is distorted and unclear and drowned out by the wrong motivations. He goes on and he says, if, if, if he knows a, a whole bunch of things about God, if he appears to have this heightened spiritual insight, if he makes these bold leaps of faith, but he's missing this key ingredient of love, everything that he did amounts to nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I really don't want my life to amount to nothing. I, I don't want to waste my time here on earth. He says, even if I risk my life to tell others about Jesus, even if I give away all that I have, if I'm not doing that out of a heart of love, if I have some other motivation that's driving me, there will be no reward in this life or in the next. Those are some serious claims. And he's saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that love is the essential ingredient to everything that you do. Motivation matters. Without love, your life is noise and nothingness. It's like an orchestra that doesn't have any specific notes that they're supposed to play. And they're all just trying to go at it on their own. It's like a work crew who's trying to build a house without any materials. It's like a, a, a chef who is trying to bake a cake without the key ingredients of flour and sugar. Love is essential. And yet, how often do we emphasize other things in the church? How often do we emphasize the eloquence of a speaker or the apparent knowledge of a student? How often do we emphasize the, the talent of a worship team or the production value of a live stream? How often are we wowed by people who think we are, are who we think are risk takers for Jesus? Who, who dream big dreams and put it all on the line? For the sake of the ministry, but, but we don't care to examine if they're doing it out of a heart of love. But don't think about other people. Make it personal for you. Has there ever been a time where you try to serve someone else without the essential ingredient of love? Maybe just allow your mind to wander back there. And if you can think of a time, why was love missing? What... What was motivating you instead? I've heard people say a little bit tongue-in-cheek, like, I, I would love church if it weren't for all the people. But of course, the church is the people. And to be part of the body will require you to love people. Maybe instead of being motivated by love, you, you, you served someone because they made you feel guilty and you just wanted to get them off your back. Like, okay, fine, I'm, I'll serve you, fine. Maybe you serve someone to, to look good in front of others. Maybe your service was teaching a class or singing a song and you were just hoping that people would notice how awesome you were. Maybe you serve someone just for that warm feeling that you get when you do something nice. Your, your motivation for serving was it just makes me feel good inside. You just feel good. All of those motivations will taint the purity of your actions because they lack love. They're not focused on the Lord. They're not focused on love of neighbor. They're focused here. Now maybe you're saying, no, oh, Pastor Ben, I always love people. 
I'm a lover, not a hater. I, I mean, at least I love people who don't bother me and who don't disagree with me, or at least who like me. Well, if you think you're a perfect lover, these next verses are going to check you on that. Look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That definition of love doesn't come from this world. That definition of love is otherworldly, which is exactly why we need to pursue it. Pursue love because it is supernatural. Pursue love because it is supernatural. Often this passage is, is read at weddings, and, and everyone you know, feels really good because the bride and groom, oh, they love each other, and, and they can't imagine being anything but patient and kind. Just give them a week, right? And they're going to realize just how far short of this they fall. Uh, Why? Because this kind of love is not natural. It's supernatural. Now, while this passage can certainly apply to all types of relationships of love, uh, interestingly enough, the context of the passage, the place where Paul is applying it, is to the love that exists within the church within the body of Christ, as they consider how to use their spiritual gifts and serve one another. And so Paul is setting the standard of love for Christ's body. And the standard of love that he gives is the love of Christ Himself. Remember, the body is growing up into maturity in Christ, into the reflection of who Christ is in every way. And so the type of love that he describes here is the most clearly seen in the Gospel. It's the type of love that Jesus showed us in the gospel. And so let's just spend a few moments thinking about that love that God showed us in the gospel as we think about this description of love right here. So Paul says love is patient. And the Lord loves so much that He is patient toward us. The Bible says not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Bible describes us, as apart from Jesus, as foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. God's love is, is patient to endure that kind of hostility from sinners, and it's kind When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. His love is kind. God had no need of envy or boasting or being arrogant. Instead, Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. He didn't envy. He wasn't wasn't looking to somebody else. He was actually giving something up. Instead, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then instead of being rude and and dishonoring us, he took our shame and, and he took our 
dishonor upon himself. And he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He didn't insist on his own way. The the night before his death, he prayed to the Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, and yet not my will but yours be done. But both he and and God, the Father, knew that this was the only way. And, And in the greatest act of love ever to be accomplished, Jesus willingly laid down his life as the heavenly Father poured the cup of wrath that our sin deserved upon the head of His righteous, spotless Son. And now, He didn't do that because He was easily angered or resentful. That's not the kind of wrath that God has for us. He he did it because of the opposite. He did it because of love. Now, it's important that we understand that that in doing this, in, in paying for our sin, God was not taking sin lightly and just giving us a free pass. He was not rejoicing at our wrongdoing, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, That would not be loving. But rather, God was showing us just how much our wrongdoing cost. It cost separation from the Father. And He did that so that we could rejoice in the truth that Jesus paid the cost for us. And so for the joy that was set before Him, Jesus bore all things even our sin, in His body on the cross. He he believed and hoped all things, that that His Father would right all wrongs and raise Him from the dead. And because of the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He endured all things. And we know that God did vindicate Him and did raise Him from the dead. His hope was not in vain. Uh, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the highest name, the, the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And the love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13 is the love that God has shown you in the Gospel. It's the love with which He fills you as you put your faith in Him. It starts with you believing that He has loved you in these ways. Do you believe that the Father has loved you with this type of intense and perfect and holy and sure and supernatural love? Your love, your love, your love starts by putting your faith in the love of the only Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Your your sin is what stands in the way of your love. And He wants to rescue you from that. And if you've never put your, your, your trust in the saving work of Jesus, I would urge you, I would urge you, do that today. And as you put your faith in Him, this is a love that is supernatural and only comes then as He fills you with His Holy Spirit. He's given every single believer the Holy Spirit and we can go to Him we can go to Him for everything that we need. So, so let me ask you, how does your love measure up against what Paul describes here? I, I guarantee you that if you're honest with yourself, uh, your natural tendency doesn't at all measure up. Like, Just think about your time with your family this week. We're all in our homes a little more often these days. Do you even get past the first two words? Patient and kind. 
kids, were you ever jealous or envious of something that your brother or sister had this week or, or some attention that they received? Adults, were you ever envious of the situation that, that somebody else seems to have right now that seems a little easier than the one that you find yourself in? In the church, have you ever insisted on your own way? Maybe you, you, you made a big deal about, about small preferences and disagreements and instead of bearing all things and pursuing the priority of love. Have you ever believed less than the best about God's ability to work in the life of another believer? See, if we're honest with ourselves, our, our love doesn't measure up. It just can't. This is a love that I long to show perfectly, but in my natural state, I cannot. And that's because this type of love only comes from God. It's, it's supernatural. Just as much as spiritual gifts are supernatural motivations and empowerments, so is the priority of love. And each of us uh, needs to accept that. We need to accept that our natural love falls short. That's the only way that we can pursue the supernatural love of God. Go to God and ask Him to fill you with His love. When you're getting ready in the morning, ask God to fill you with His love for that day. When you aren't sure if you have anything left over for the people in your family because all of your energy was spent on Zoom meetings and decision making, or kids' Zoom classes, (laughs) recognize your need before Him. And ask Him to fill you with His love afresh. When you're unmotivated to care for the needs of your church family, ask Him to carry you beyond yourself, beyond your desires, and to move you toward other people in love. It's only His Spirit that's going to do that. Love is the primary characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. So we've got to go to the Spirit, right? We've got to rely on the Spirit. Now that kind of love seems hard. It wars against the desires of our flesh. It's it's costly to us. And so we can ask, is it even worth it? Is this kind of love even worth it? And I want you to know that the answer is yes. Look at verse 8. Paul says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's the third reason that you should pursue love as your top priority as you play your part in the body. Pursue love because it is eternal. Pursue love because it is eternal. Paul says love never ends, like, like never, never. There's, there's a lot of things that seem like they're never going to end. Uh, the coronavirus quarantines will end. The 2020 election season will end. 
kids, your school year and, and your years of schooling will end. The, the waiting for that event that you anticipate so much in the future but just never seems to come, whether it's, it's, it's getting a driver's license or, or getting married or, or getting a new job or retiring, that wait will end. The short span of your life will end. The waiting for the return of Christ will end. And after all of those things end, love will continue to be God's top priority for His people. For the Corinthian church, they needed to understand that that the things that they had made the top priority, like like spiritual gifts and prophecy and tongues and and who's the better preacher and all those types of things, all of those things are going to pass away, but love will remain. Paul isn't clear about when those gifts are going to pass away. That's not his point. Some people have tried to make that the point of this passage. But his point is simply that they are temporary in light of eternity. If we think about how the original audience would have understood this and how Paul probably intended it, uh, they all expected Jesus to come back soon, like like within their lifetime soon. They didn't quite see this 2,000-year span of time in, in which Scripture would no longer be written and the church would be continued to be built and, and it would be uh, compiled for, for all of the saints for all time. But the most reasonable reading of this passage then is not that, that the prophecies will end during that time. The most reasonable re- reading of this passage is that he's talking about the kingdom and eternity. When the perfect comes... His point is that love is the perfect thing that we're going to have for all of eternity. And so we need to start pursuing that now because love is the primary characteristic of our God. Love is going to be the primary experience of our eternal state. When we start to love as God does, and when we start to do that now, we know we're getting ready for heaven. In this way, love is the primary indicator of maturity in a church. The love of Christ should be what we are growing into as a body. And so Paul uses this analogy of a child and an adult. A lack of love is is childish. It would be potentially understandable in an immature church, maybe a brand new church that's still figuring out the relationships, is still learning what it means to grow up in the body of Christ. Uh, But for a church that is growing in maturity, it must grow in love. See, grown adults hopefully don't fight over the same things that kids fight over. Like, Mom, he's looking at me funny. Dad, I had that toy first and he took it. If you're still fighting about those things when you're an adult, you have some maturing to do. And sadly, you hear churches, even sometimes very old churches, fighting about those same types of things. But they're understandable in children. They have no place in a mature body. And as the church pursues maturity in Christ together, they put behind them childish ways. They they learn to forgive and forbear. They they learn to be humble and patient and kind to one another because they're experiencing more and more of what it is to be the body of Christ together. Our whole goal in this series and and beyond this series has been to grow in Christ-like maturity as stewards of God's powerful grace. And we cannot do that unless we love one another with the essential, supernatural, eternal love of Christ. 
See, right now, the reflection of Christ's body in His church is just like a dim mirror to the glory of our risen Lord. Paul, Paul says it's, it's like looking in a mirror dimly. It would have been a little copper piece of metal and it would have been hard to, to polish up and you would have just barely gotten a, a little bit of a reflection. But there's coming a day when we will be like Him, just like Him. We will be the reflection of our perfect Savior because we will see Him as He is. We're going to be seeing in 4K that day. That's the reality that we need to be pursuing. We have some knowledge of Him now. And we need to respond to what we know now. That that He has loved us with an incredible love. And we need to reflect the love of our Savior. But there is coming a day when we will know fully. When we will see all of the glory of who He is. All that it it meant for Him to love us. All that it cost for Him to pay the price for our sin. We're going to know it even as we have been fully known all along by our Lord. And so you have a choice right now to make decisions according to things that are fleeting and failing and passing away along with this world and its present desires, or you have a choice to respond to what is eternal, to live by faith, to endure in hope, and to participate in the body of Christ in love. These things will not disappoint. They will abide. They will remain forever. And the greatest of them is love. So the worship team can come. And as they do, I I just want to ask you this. Are you pursuing love, which is eternal? Or are you pursuing other motivations and activities that are not? I want to challenge you this week evaluate your heart. Has there ever been a time when you, when you tried to serve someone else without the essential ingredient of love? What, what was motivating you instead of that love? And then I want to challenge you this week to recognize your need for God's power and go to Him and ask Him to fill you with His love. Ask Him every day. Go to Him every day. Seek His love in the Word. This week we have a a Holy Week Scripture reading and and we're going to be reading the Scriptures together. And this is such an important way to to come together in the Spirit around the Word of God. And so I I would challenge you, as you're reading this week, look for ways that Christ loved His people in the final days before His crucifixion. And then ask God to give you that same quality of love. And then I want to challenge you to one more thing. To find at least one other person in the body of Christ. Probably outside of your family because you're going to need to be practicing love with them quite a bit. To show self-sacrificing Christ-like love this week. Maybe in this time of isolation it's, it's serving them in some way like, like taking a meal and dropping it on their doorstep. Or, or just picking up the phone and making a call. Maybe it's extending forgiveness where you've withheld it in the past. Or humbling yourself if you find that you've offended somebody and you need to apologize. Maybe it's sending an encouraging email or a note that builds somebody else up. Get creative with it, but whatever you do this week, pursue love as your top priority as you play your part in the body. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we want to first of all thank you for your love. It is a love like no other. It is a love that we have never known before. And so we praise you because your love is the essential love. Your love is the supernatural love. Your love is the eternal love that we need. And we ask you, oh Father, we ask you to pour out your love upon us and to fill us with your love so that we can extend it to others. Help us to know how much you've loved us. And help us to know how you want us to love others. Lord, I pray that that all around Southern Lancaster County this week, people who are hearing this will be filled with faith in Jesus Christ to love one another, to overcome the barriers of isolation to still be connected. That we might show everyone around us the love of Christ that is like us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.